Welcome everybody to Spirituality Adventures. This is a non-judgmental place to explore spirituality, and we're so glad you're here. This is a viewer and listener supported podcast, so we greatly appreciate your support. If you're watching on YouTube, be sure and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Be sure and like, share, and subscribe to any of the social media content platforms that you're using. And then if you go to our website, spiritualityadventures.com, you can make a one-time donation or with a monthly subscription, you'll gain access to our bonus content. We greatly appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in. Welcome everybody to Spirituality Adventures. We're glad that you're here and uh, we're excited today. We are interviewing Chris Rochelle. Yes. Chris, thanks for joining us on Spirituality Adventures. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. Not a lot of people have me places. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, Chris is a musician as and that's the main thing that I was getting you on here yeah, for was sure. your kind of your musical <laughs> creativity career. But uh there's so many other things now that yeah. I've discovered that I that I have intersections with you on that I'm excited to <laughs> I'm so much talk more. about this. I'm yeah. so much more. That's but. right. <laughs> yeah. But um let's let's just start by getting a little bit of background so our audience can uh, know like where you where you grew up sure. where you're from give us a little bit of your your family background yeah uh okay um so i uh i grew up in lot sorry i'm i'm laughing i'm thinking of like i do a lot of assessments on people yeah um, like biopsychosocial and i'm like oh maybe i could just go through the assessment form right just, no, we could uh, we could figure out what what kind of uh <laughs> What kind of danger lurks ahead in your future? Yeah, yeah. Um, I grew up doing aces tests on you. How's that? Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> oh, my, it's a trauma assessment, by the way, for those yes, who don't know. Yeah. Adverse childhood experiences. Mm -hmm. They're actually what's cool about the aces is they're they're doing another one um, <clears throat> for the community adverse community um, experiences. Wait, so and what's the so so doing not only your family context, but your community context your community. Yeah. Okay. So like, uh, whether there's like generational poverty or, um, community violence, things like that. And like, because those adverse experiences for the community really trickle down into every individual. Mm. And so that has like a trauma response to those, and, mm. you know, increasing amygdala size and fear, response the kind of fight flight freeze so this is a real deal your amygdala can be larger than yeah, normal and absolutely so i think i have one of those yeah, yeah. <laughs> i really do yeah i think because I, mean, I couldn't sleep at night yeah. my brain just runs so any yeah when you experience like continued uh stressors that are sort of beyond your control um it has a uh it has an effect on on the organs which are your brain is an organ <laughs> But I've even heard that even like in like even when you're in the womb, sure. If your mom goes through enormous amounts of stress during that pregnancy, that it yeah. can affect your amygdala size as well. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if the. Yeah, I haven't Maybe. studied that research out, but I've I've actually <laughs> yeah. read it, and then you just mentioned that, and so yeah. I was like, wow. And it's I mean obviously it's very complex. There's a lot yeah. of things that contribute to right. that um right. which is why the aces scores or the aces tests have been like really um i think uh enlightening to a lot of people because they're showing yeah. that like it is it, it it's complex it's not just a person it's really a person in environment mm -hmm. um, it's a 
approaching things from a more holistic perspective in kind of every caring profession, whether it's uh, therapy, kind of uh, connection to care or medical, mm-hmm. you know, psychiatric, yeah. it's really important to approach each of those things from a Yeah. I, one of my good friends is Dr. Michelle Kylo, and she okay. worked in you know, children's pediatrics, yeah. Dr. Gal, for uh, decades in yeah. Children's Mercy and has uh, is also still worked heavily with childhood trauma and all that kind of stuff and anyway yeah uh yeah so tell us about your oh life my gosh, yeah. <laughs> give us I'm, your background my plan yeah. is to just derail yeah yeah at every uh, <laughs> turn uh so <clears throat> i grew up in las vegas nevada um to a mom and a dad who are still married um, my dad was a baptist pastor had been my whole life pastored at one church for 30 some odd years and retired a couple of years ago oh wow um my, what, what kind of baptist i'm just curious do you know pretty laid back like southern baptist or uh, so technically they were part american of the baptist so technically they were part of the southern baptist convention okay but um they weren't like super southern baptist they ended up dropping the word baptist from their church mm-hmm. name so um if that tells you anything yeah they were pretty pretty laid back as far as baptists go yeah right <laughs> Yeah. And um, my mom. Gosh, that's a long time. Is he still in Vegas, your dad? He's still in Vegas. Yeah, both okay. of them are. Yeah. All right. Both of them and my brother. I have one older brother. Well, hey, dad, if you ever listen to this, uh, hello. Oh, he will. Fel- he will. Fellow, uh, I'm, I'm an ordained Baptist pastor. All right. I grew up in a Southern Baptist home. So, yeah. anyway. And my mom um, <clears throat> was a school teacher my whole life. She went back and forth between the classroom and music, the music room. So, okay. she retired a few years back, too. So music was an early part of your experience it, in, in your home? It was, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say that like my mom performed music a lot in my home, but it was both my parents were super into music. So I was always listening to like pretty good bands um, from the time I remember, you know. Like like give me examples. What are pretty uh, good bands? Like uh Creedence Clearwater Revival was one of like the first bands I really got hooked on. Like Simon and Garfunkel was another, you know, big <clears throat> thing for me. And then like Steppenwolf and the Beatles and Yeah. Uh, some good classic. Yeah. So rock like stuff. They were yeah. Really into that stuff. And then like like I don't know. We I remember we had this uh like 50 songs of the 50s mix tape that i would just like put into the stereo like you know we had like the entertainment center with like the tv and the stereo over here and i would like put that tape into the stereo and just like put headphones on and listen to this one del shannon song over and over and over i was really into it nice uh yeah so sweet when did you when did you start playing what did you start playing when did you start playing do you remember um, yeah i like so the christmas of i think when i was a i think christmas when i was like 11 years old um my parents and i went like half and half on a drum set which is like half and half to an 11 year old is like probably not really half, and half but i remember i had some money saved up and i like put it in and they put it in and bought a drum set so when i was 11 i started playing the drums okay yeah but now you do do you do guitar keys and drums yeah sure yeah wow yeah and then so i was like immediately wanted to be in a band and so started a band when i was in sixth grade called violent desire 
Jose and uh, Steve, if you're listening, uh, <laughs> you know, big shout out to Jose and Steve. Uh, we got one show, <clears throat> Emily Smith's backyard, and our guitar player couldn't show up, so it was just me and the bass player. But anyway, so I was in band. I was just wanted to be in bands. So mm-hmm. I was like, bands are cool. I want to be in like punk bands and rock bands and stuff. That was what I was into. And um, so I was always around a guitar. And so I would just pick it up and try to figure out how to play it. Yeah. And yeah, then we eventually bought this acoustic guitar for, for the house. And I just like quickly took it over mm-hmm. and started like writing music. Did you have brother and sisters? I, I have one older brother. Yeah. Okay. Were you into sports or anything else? Acting, anything? Or just mostly your band stuff yeah so i was i played like baseball and soccer from the time i was like five to about 15 and like basically when i got into high school i was like i don't want to do sports really anymore i want to just play music and be in bands and stuff so so by the time you're 15 it was it was bands and music yeah pretty pretty much. much yeah yeah and then growing up baptist like were you were you ever in the Christian rock world or Christian worship CCM world or anything like that? Contemporary Christian music world. Um, Yeah. So I was like super into being in church um, and like being a part of that until I was like, I don't know, probably 20, 19 or 20. Okay. I was like really into it, took it really seriously and was like in like Christian bands, like (laughs) some, uh, yeah, some like, bad ones <laughs> really not bad but just like uh, uh, like identity crisis ones where like uh some people i mean this is i'm let me think this is like late 90s early 2000s and like a couple members really wanted to do like a rap rock thing which was cool i was like at that point i was like really into like the first corn record so i was like that's cool but like heavy stuff but then i had started to get into this like other like hardcore like like hardcore punk kind of stuff um and i was like so i started writing those songs so we had this weird band that was like some pop punk some like like thrashy or more just like straight forward hardcore stuff and then some like rap rock songs so it's just very confusing but i kind of got into that rap core some like uh evanescence okay and, um is, would that be considered that? Or, I don't know. I never. Um, so like, what what was the name at of the, the time? Like the Christian rap rock uh-huh. song were, were like uh, Lincoln Park. I really liked. Or that would they fit that genre? Like I'm Project Eighty Six was a big one. Okay, and then Pod was big at the time. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, there was a band. There, there. Uh, what's that? Freaking Pod. Yeah, I remember. So, that was a Christian band, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. These, okay. all, these are all Christian. Bands oh, okay, I mean. all right. Um, I was jumping out into the other world but anyway uh pax 217 right um then there, there's a band called blindside which i still stand by Dude, they're actually a really good band and, and then and ch- ch- by those who are listening i i interviewed john terry so by the way yeah. so uh chris is in listener with yeah. dan smith and john terry i interviewed john terry john terry was in chariot right mm-hmm. but that was more just like that was, hardcore right that was like yeah, that math, wasn't math core, kind yeah. of math core weird yeah, yeah. stuff. And, and I was I was a huge The Chariot fan, which is funny. Um, like my first tattoo were lyrics from The Chariot. Oh wow! And then like <laughs> you know, fast forward a few years later, I'm playing my first show in Kansas City with Listener, 
and like John Terry and Jonathan Kindler are at the show and I'm like, Oh my God, God." (laughs) you know, and, uh, years later, like I'm really good for it. Like John and I, Jonathan Kindler and I are like running buddies and just really good friends. And then obviously John Terry and I have toured the whole world together. But, um, you know, years later they're like, Oh yeah, you were like the, (laughs) the most prepared for that show. Like you were, you were the only one who seemed like to know like what you were doing in that show, which is, I don't know. Maybe uh, they were just saying it to be nice, but it was pretty funny. So meeting them and then touring with the chariot was like, uh, and then we all became good friends who toured with Josh and Munch. Too. Well, that's cool. So, that's cool. So you were, you were definitely into the Christian rock scene. <laughs> yeah. And um, our band, our band name was inadequate. Okay. No big deal. All you right. Know, very, uh, you can take a lot from that very kind of uh a lot of shame i feel like oh uh, yeah <laughs> when you're like we should name our band inadequate yeah all right <laughs> yeah how low can you go <laughs> just like not good enough like oh uh-huh. boy that's yeah. gonna stick with you yeah, for a yeah. while <laughs> yeah Brene brown could pipe in on that yeah. one right <laughs> never good very enough. cool <laughs> for shame that's her yeah shame thing yeah anyway well um so when did you start like you said you were into that whole world until 19 yeah yeah so what what transpired at 19 that moved you away from that world or so i was i was like really i found great community there um you know there's a lot i I think there was like a lot of kind of more problematic stuff uh, uh regarding my involvement with kind of that whole church world but i think it was probably definitely had some to do with the culture, but it's also just kind of how I interpreted the culture and um, my tendency to go black or white on things. I'm kind of like a, I'm much more comfortable at the end of whatever spectrum it is. I, I am involved in. Okay. Like if there's a pendulum, I'm, I'm uncomfortable in the middle. Wow. And so the way I take on, you know, kind of uh, like a, revealed inerrant word of God is like, I'm either going to take this and run with it, or I'm just going to like totally deny it. Like, there's like no way I, I can't like cherry pick like some like really good things from it. And so, <laughs> well, then you're in trouble. I can tell. Already. Yeah, sure. Right. <laughs> and, um, and that's also like kind yeah. of promoted within that culture. And, and yeah. I also, you yeah. know, I left this Baptist church that my dad was involved with and became a member of this PCA, this Presbyterian Church of America, okay. Calvinist, Reformed. Oh, very, wow. I was like, yeah, I'm totally into this. Oh, wow. I love to um, know. I like to know. I like to know the truth. I like to wield the truth like a weapon and oh, show you how you're boy. wrong and, and feel comfortable with how I'm right. Right. If I okay. can put something in a box and understand it, yeah, it makes me a lot more comfortable with it. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So, so I joined this church and, um, it wasn't like the whole thing really hadn't been working for me, I think for a while and probably diving that deep into theology and apologetics and, you know, defending the faith and knowing what I know and everything was probably sort of in a way with some hindsight, a a last ditch effort to like. I was grasping. Hang on, I was grasping your own. for something. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, it came, I was 19 or 20 and I had been just, I, what I now know is like 
just pretty depressed for a while. Um, and it just wasn't working. And I finally, I remember I was, <laughs> I was lying in bed and I was like, say, I was like saying my prayers at night and I was like, what am I even doing? This is pointless. Like these prayers aren't going past the ceiling. None of this is real. Like just level with yourself, dude, this isn't working and it's make believe. And, um, so I, I was like, all right. I, it was kind of like this, like almost like a, the last, the straw that broke the camel's back. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I was like, all right, I'm like, cool with this. Like, I'm good. I'm not going to do worship anymore. I'm not going to teach Bible study anymore. I'm not definitely not going to go on these like really weirdly problematic mission trips. Um, and I'm not going to do any in my small groups. Like I'm done. I'm out. I'm out. <clears throat> and, um, so I, I like did that and, um, like, thank goodness that I shortly thereafter turned 21 and started drinking because I think it probably saved my life because I was so depressed. And I literally, at that point I had like nothing, right. I didn't even have this thing, this like religion or this faith to grasp onto anymore. So, so. you think drinking saved your life? Is that oh, what you're saying? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because like explain that because well, I don't hear that too often. So I was just in such a dark place that yeah. like carrying on in that dark of a place with um, no kind of foundation and also having left a, a, a left a foundation that I had had since birth and that I was grown up with and all my friends were involved with. I don't, I, I don't think I would have lasted. I thought I was probably pretty short for this world. Yeah. You know, had I not found something. You know, that's such an interesting, because like, you know, I, I went through a really mm -hmm. hard, like I, you know, 2019 just, and I'd been, you know, in, you know, pastor yeah. 40 years yeah. and led people to Jesus, all this stuff. And, and, um, but then all of a sudden in 2019, it was just gone. I mean, everything felt gone. I'd lost everything. Yeah. It even felt like my faith was shattered. And then that darkness of all of that was crazy, crazy, yeah. crazy. And I even felt ashamed of, of having done everything and lost everything. Yeah, and for sure. Felt even shame about losing my faith even to mm -hmm. a certain degree, yeah. you know? And so pe people who haven't gone through a sort of a, a deep, for lack of a better word, a deconstruction like that. Yeah. And yeah. And, and really gone into a dark place. I mean, I've met some people who yeah. kind of intellectually go through stuff. Yeah. But when you go into that emotional pit and the darkness of that, like if you're feeling that depressed yeah. and dark, yeah, it's, it's a scary place, man. Yeah. It's, it's not, it's, it's not ideal <laughs> for mm. sure. That I wouldn't wish it on anybody, man, really dark night of the soul. But yeah. I, I think it's like, for me, I just see everything as like a path. And it was like, like I, lo I love my life. I think my life is really great. And I like wake up pretty much every day. And if I can like pull my head out of my ass enough, I can like realize that like the shit that I've been through, like I, you know, I hate to just be like, I shouldn't be alive, but I probably like maybe shouldn't. And so like I, it's, I'm living on borrowed time and this is sort of all gravy. And so like, it's, it just really takes a lot of the pressure off of like having to do Hmm. having to do something to know who you are. Mm. Um, so Interesting. It's, 
it's all really helped develop that sense of self for me. So, so take me down the, the drinking saved your life road. Yeah. Get, pick us up there (laughs) for sure. So, um, and how that tied into your music career. Like I'm a pretty big rule follower. Uh, I didn't really do much like drinking or using of drugs or anything like before I turned 21. Um, and, uh, so when I turned 21, I was like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to drink. This is what people who are 21 do. And so <clears throat> I started drinking and like the first time I like caught like a real buzz, I was like, oh, this is it. Like, this is, this makes more sense to me. Um, this is real. Like every, as far as like spiritual experiences, like everything I had had up to that point didn't measure up to what happened to me when I okay. started drinking alcohol and I was like, Oh yeah. Okay, cool. So I really connected with alcohol and it, and it, it did like helped me for, a, for a while. Okay. Um, and so, you know, I started drinking and I <laughs> quickly started drinking, uh, probably a little more than I should. I was never really good at drinking. Um, I was really never good at using drugs. Uh, I just like, I, I could do a lot of it, but I was never functional in like really any capacity. So I, I just started, I had just transferred from like a community college to a university at the time. And I started drinking and I was like, this is the best. Um, this makes me feel like I think everybody else feels just on a daily basis. So why wouldn't I do it on a daily basis? And so I kind of started, you know, drinking every day. And then like, I figured out like I could drink in the afternoon like between classes and stuff. And so I just started drinking a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. And, um, and it was great for a minute, like, uh, really helped me to connect with some friends, uh, outside of kind of the church. And, uh, I started to kind of actually build a different community, uh, of people that like were really amazing, great people that I didn't think could exist outside of like the church. Mm. <laughs> and then I come to find out like people are all over the world are like pretty rad and just like really nice and yeah. like, doing cool things. And they don't have to have this, like I would, there was always this sense. They don't, they don't have to be Baptist to be yeah, really cool people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like have morals and like have values yeah. and stuff. So, yeah. So yeah, I started drinking, I started drinking every day and eventually I started drinking in the afternoons and in the mornings and like, you know, there was a point in time around when I was 22 at some point when I was 22, it didn't take long where the alcohol really started, stopped kind of doing that thing for me. That window of relief kept getting smaller and smaller. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I was drinking a lot like, um, and I was starting to get some like weird physical stuff going on. Um, like I, I would essentially buy a hand, like a, handle vodka and a gallon of Tampico. Do you know what Tampico Mm -hmm. is? It's like off brand sunny delight. Okay. (laughs) It's like (laughs) 89 cents a gallon. You could get like a eight 99 handle of vodka. And I just keep those in my car and I was just drinking them. And, um, so I wouldn't quite drink the whole handle in a day, but I would have some for the morning, for the next morning. And now dude, so it got like kind of gnarly, but it, it got to the point where like, I could drink a lot of vodka and not, and kind of like my head was still telling me like how bad everything was, or I might drink like 
three or four beers and totally black out. So it was just really unpredictable. Mm. And so I started like uh, using drugs. Yeah, I started taking some pills. Um, I didn't know what they were, but they were, they ended up being like Oxycontin. And then I got restrung out on those and they cost a lot of money. So yeah, then I kind of just made the, it was more like a decision of finances than anything and started uh, using heroin. So yeah, yeah. that's the, yeah, that's yeah. what's, uh, what, that's what happens. Yeah. So that's yeah. like the, I was just, uh, I was just talking to a guy last year who was uh, one of the top baseball recruits out of high school mm. and started doing the oxy for pain, a pain an injury, you know, mm. and, uh, and then, he just quickly got addicted, yeah. kind of wiped out his his baseball career, and then couldn't afford yeah. the expensive stuff, and ended up on heroin. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, so, and were you still pursuing your music career while? Oh my God, no. I, I like when I <laughs> first when I first had started drinking, I was still in this band. I was still in this band, and it was like halfway christian i guess like all of the dudes were like from my church um but i was mostly just writing like stuff that i would write for red sweater now um stuff about girls and being sad and stuff <laughs> and uh but i was just like dude i can't like i can't do this i can't be in this band like i don't feel right you know the pendulum like i can't be in anything that like is in any way associated with Christianity because it's not my truth. And so I have to get, I have to wipe everything out, mm. you know? Um, it wasn't like, I can still be in this band, even though I don't believe in this stuff. It was just like integrity, integrity, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. which is something I think like, not only did I learn from the church, but also punk rock is very um, like extremist in that sense. You're like punk or you're not, and here's how you tell if you're not and you have to have integrity in these values and you have to xyz or else you're not punk or whatever yeah, so yeah. there's a lot of like similarities exactly. it's not it's not a surprise that i be that i'm like a you, you like, gravitate to something else that's very fundamentalist in a different sure, way right yeah and, i mean yeah. i'm a vegan in the outside <laughs> it's like outside the box i'm like a sober like i yeah. remember having this conversation with my friend levi um and I was like, yeah, like I just used to be so extremist. And he's like, dude, you're like a sober vegan who like won't get a straight job. And I was like, okay, maybe I'm still a little, you know, extreme <laughs> just in different ways. <laughs> oh, I'm usually all in when I commit to something. I know. <laughs> all right. So what? What happened? <laughs> so what happened? Yeah, because yeah. I mean, I'm tr I was trying to connect this drug scene to your music career. But. Yeah, dude, I did. I, that's what I mean. Like, I'm so bad at like drinking and doing drugs. I can't do anything else. So it just I'm, wiped you out. Like the 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 one accomplishment I had was like I almost graduated college <laughs> when I was like strung out on dope, but I didn't. And I wasn't doing any music. Um, I like pawned almost all of my gear. Uh, yeah, I didn't do music again until after I got sober. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. I um, dude. I, I and so I. I guess that was like whatever twenty. 
223 when I started shooting dope. And uh, I got sober when I was 26. So I was kind of in, I was in and out of different, like, I don't even know if you would call them treatment. Some of them are like treatment mm-hmm. adjacent. And then some of them were just like basically homeless shelters. But uh, I like my parents would try to get me like clean and sober. And then like, I really wanted to be, but I also continued to get loaded, which is the great sort of paradox of people with substance use disorders. Like, dude, I don't want to like, this is the hardest job I've ever had. Staying loaded is the hardest job I've ever had. And I don't want to do it anymore, but I can't not do it. So, um, after I got sober, I was up in Portland. I kind of just ended up in Oregon. What, what, what helped you get, what, what, what got you sober? Oh, okay. Dude. Um, so <laughs> I, I woke up one morning <laughs> I woke up one morning and I was, I was back living with my parents and <clears throat> I, I walked out to smoke a cigarette in the morning and I saw my, my car and my dad's truck had like, like was right behind it, like pinning it in. And I was like, oh, this isn't good. It's <laughs> like, I'm probably going to go to rehab. Uh, like I've seen this before. I've, we've done this before. I know where this is going. And so I like walk back and I like smoke my cigarette, walk back inside. And my friend Dave, who um, <clears throat> was houseless, we called him homeless Dave, but he was sleeping on the floor in my room because I, I it was like super, it was December in Vegas. It was super cold that night. I was like, Dave, this is so Dave and I were like really uh, probably as good of friends as like two heroin addicts could be. But like, it's still like kind of comes with, uh, there's always a catch. I was like, dude, I'll let you stay like in my room tonight. If you split your last bag of dope with me. And he was like, all right, cool. So he's <laughs> like on the floor. I come in, I wake up Dave. I'm like, Dave, dude, I think I'm going to rehab. And he was like, when I was like, like now probably. <laughs> and so he's like, all right, cool. Well, hang in there, man. <laughs> and like, you know, goes out the window and leaves. And, oh, wow. uh, and so I like go out to face the music and my dad drives me back to this place in Los Angeles that I had been before. It was not, it wasn't exactly a treatment center. It was sort of almost like the Salvation Army, um, but a lot less programming and a lot more just like have faith and you won't be a drug addict anymore. And um, they wouldn't let like 12 step meetings in there. There was none of that. It was just like, have faith. And so I had been there before. I had done like four months there at one point. Mm. What was it called? Do you, can, do you mind saying the name? Or, I, no? I don't want to say it okay. because like this particular place has made my every four step I've ever done. <laughs> I have a lot of feelings about it. So I don't want to like bad mouth it. Okay. But, okay. So I was there and it did, it did end up doing a lot of, it played a part in my story, right? Okay. So uh, I go there. I. Uh, but this was like a Jesus-centered yeah. recovery approach that didn't work the twelve steps. Yeah, it was I mean, more it like wasn't. F- it wasn't like a celebrate recovery or anything. Okay. It was like legit, just like believe, memorize okay. the scripture. Yeah, almost like uh, what was the stuff that David Wilkerson started across America? That kind of stuff. I forgot the name. I don't know. Things. Youth. Uh, Oh, well, anyway, I forgot. He started a whole deal for 
teen recovery that was kind of like that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Teen challenge or something like that. Okay. Yeah. Something like Maybe that. Maybe similar to teen mm -hmm, challenge. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, the place has done a lot of good because I know a lot of people were home planning from prison to this place. Mm -hmm. uh, and so to for any place to have, to, to take people and to house them and to feed them, um, it's in my line of work now, like, th you know, thanks for doing that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Could it be better? Yes. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, that's like, people talk a lot of shit about like, um, how they can never find like secular, uh, shelters or like, um, free supportive recovery housing and stuff. Mm -hmm. But it's like, Hey, if you want to have a secular one, make one. There aren't any, they're all affiliated with the church because these are the only people who are going to touch, you know, these like chronic relapsing alcoholics and drug addicts. Um, and, uh, so anyway, yeah, this is, <laughs> so you went, you so went to this place it's and like, I got you got sober there. No. Okay. <laughs> I <go to> this. <laughs> My dad takes me out to this place and I snuck like some suboxone. So I didn't get super sick and a, my phone and a stolen credit card that I had been using to run this gas scam with back in Vegas. I snuck all that into this place and I got in on a Friday. They locked my bag up in the office over the weekend because the office wasn't open over the weekend. And <clears throat> on Monday they took me down um, to get my bag and I just left. I was like, I, I've already done four months at this place. It doesn't work. Um, I don't want to be here. This sucks. And I left. And I remember my dad had given me like 20 bucks for some reason. He's like, I know you can't have cash in here, but just in case you need this or whatever, I'm like, okay, you know, I'm not going to turn down free money. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I have like $20 cash, uh, my phone and this credit card. And I go, I buy a pack of cigarettes and I'm like sitting, it was very romantic. I was like sitting on sunset Boulevard, like smoking a cigarette. Like, what am I about to do? Like I could take a Greyhound back to Vegas and then just like live with Dave like outside <laughs> and do the same old thing, continue to be strung out, whatever. I'm not tough enough to make it homeless in LA. There's just no doubt about it. I'm not that tough. And then like I had a friend up in Portland, Oregon. And I was like, that's, that's kind of different. I could like, I could kind of see what happens there. So I use this credit card and I get on my phone and I book a flight from LAX to Portland and <laughs> a uh, stolen credit card. Yeah. And so Jeez. I like, <laughs> and then I, I uh, take the, take the bus. I use the cash that I had left over from buying the cigarettes and I take the bus to LAX and I text my friend. I was like, Hey, <laughs> Oh, I was like, I'll be in Portland at nine 30 if you can pick me up. And she gets the text. She's at work. She starts crying because she knows that I'm all jacked up. And uh, one of her coworkers was like, "What? Um, what's going on? And she tells him. And he's like, hey, you know, um, I'm in recovery myself. I actually, I'm good friends with a program manager at this outpatient clinic. If you can get him down there tomorrow, she can probably get him into a detox. Because I needed a detox. I was just like on, I was like a, IV heroin cocaine user mm. just and so so I got to PDX that night and she picked me up she's like I'm so mad at you and I was like I know I suck <laughs> and uh, 
she's like, we're going to, to, to see this woman, uh, Kayla tomorrow. And I was like, whatever, dude, I don't care. You know, cause I wanted to be, I wanted to get sober. I just had no idea how to do it. So I go to this uh, outpatient clinic and I meet this woman named Kayla, who's this like recovering heroin addict. She had like 14 years at the time. And I, it blew my mind because I, the only other heroin addicts I knew were strung out, dead, or locked up. And I was like, how did you get out of it? She was like, starts with detox. Like, she got me a bed and a detox, and she was so nice and so sweet. And she was like, have you kicked before? I was like, yeah. She's like, so you know what's gonna what's happening, what's going to happen. And I was like, yeah. She's like, well, like, there's Northwest 23rd Street in Portland, it was December, so it's all like lit, all the trees on the side of the roads are like lit up with Christmas trees. She's like, "Why don't you go down to Twenty Third and like get a coffee, walk down the street, like enjoy yourself a little bit before <laughs> you go here?" I was like, "All right." So yeah, so I went to this detox, and um, that was where like someone kind of brought a meeting in for the first time and told their story, and I identified and I cornered them after the meeting. I was like, because they had talked about like being they. had they drank and used like I did, but they talked about being content in their life. Mm. And I cornered them after the meeting. I was like, are you, are you lying? Right. <laughs> Why are you here? <laughs> yeah. yeah. He was like, no, man, I'm here because like, this is what keeps me sober. Yeah. And so, yeah, I started um, going to meetings and stuff. Is that, that 2011? That was 2009. Okay. Actually. And uh, tried drinking one more time after that. I stayed sober for about a year off of just like pure fear and how bad my life had been. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, going to meetings and stuff, but I didn't, I didn't, at some point my ego was reawakened, um, while I was sober and I was like, this God stuff is bullshit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was like, I'm done with this stuff. And, uh, and I was shortly after drunk again. It mm -hmm. took like two, three months and wow. I was, I was drunk again. Yeah. Thankfully I didn't like start getting loaded, but, uh, I, I started drinking again and I was like, I, it took me three days, three days of drinking, went back to my meetings, mm. but I couldn't stay sober. Mm. I would go to a meeting every day. I would call a sponsor every day. I would hang out with sober people and I, would just get drunk every like two or three days or maybe get a week or something. Mm -hmm. And I was faced with my own powerlessness regarding like substances. Mm -hmm. I was just like, dude, this is not good. I have, I a hundred percent want to stay sober and I keep getting drunk. Yeah. Like this is a bad deal. Mm -hmm. And I met this dude outside of, um, outside of the West Portland speaker meeting, there's like a small speaker and then there's a little break where you get to smoke a cigarette, which I really appreciated at the time. <laughs> and, uh, uh, was outside smoking and, and this guy was talking to me. He's like, what are you doing? Because like in Portland at meetings at the beginning of the meeting, they'd ask like, uh, does anyone here have less than 30 days of continuous sobriety? And so you raise your hand every day for 30 days but I had been raising my hand for months and months because I couldn't see it over. So it was just like, yep, still, right. still here. still don't have right. it. And he was like, what's going on? I was, I told him and he was like, dude, I did the same thing, man. You got to get with the, you got to like do all of the program. Yeah. And I was like, well, I can't, I don't believe in God. Mm. I, I can't believe in God. It's not real. He's like, oh, you don't. <laughs> 
It's like, you don't have to believe in God. You just have to take the actions. He's like, I, he's like, if I were you, I wouldn't believe in God. Look how bad your life is. And I was like, okay, all right. So I started working with this guy and I started getting some traction and that was 2011. That's when I got sober. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. What had, so did you like, how did, uh, how did that higher power thing work for you? Like what emerged out of your sobriety in that regard? Yeah. So like every, I had a, just a really good direction at that time um, from this guy because he was just like, dude, you don't have like, don't worry about faith. You're not like faith might maybe could be a byproduct of this. It might not. It doesn't matter. That's not what we're, he told me, he was like, what God is, who God is, where God is, any of those details are none of my business. And I don't really care about them. The only thing I care about is whether or not taking spiritual action can have a power in my life mm-hmm. can get me sober. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I can get this. He was like, dude, you don't have to, when you go to pray, just think of it as a certain set of words in a particular order that you say at a certain time of the day. He's like, you don't have to believe anything. And I was like, okay, well, I can do that. I can follow direction. <laughs> um, you know? And uh, he also told me, he was like, dude, we could do the steps. <laughs> and they, this is what he told me. And it's kind of like, kind of crass but it really made sense at the time he's like we can do the steps and they work and you get sober and that's great or maybe we do we do the steps all the way through and they don't work and you can go you know kill yourself or whatever you were planning on doing which is like you know was right there and i was like this guy gets it yeah. and so yeah it's prisoner death a lot of times isn't it yeah you know? so, so that was that was kind of how I did it. That's how mm-hmm. I approached it. I was like, this won't work. It's corny. It's stupid. And I'll try it. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, somewhere between like six and eight months, the first like real kind of sort of uh, light bulb moment I had was like somewhere between six and eight months. Like I realized that I hadn't been thinking. I was always worried that every day I stayed sober was just a day like closer to my next drink. Um, I never felt like it was a day further away from my last. Mm. I was just always paranoid that I was going to get drunk again and I was never going to get this thing. And I was just going to, I don't know, live like 30 or 40 more years getting drunk every three days and being miserable. And, uh, but yeah, there was like one day when I was, um, there was a coffee shop around the corner from my house that I would walk. I would walk to this coffee shop every day, paranoid, thinking I need to have a spiritual awakening, but a spiritual awakening is not a real thing. That's a make-believe thing. So I need, I definitely need that, but it's not real. So I'm kind of screwed. And I was just paranoid every day. I would get my coffee and I'd walk back to my shitty little truck and I'd drive to my shitty little job and I'd just be miserable all day, but I would stay sober. And, uh, Somewhere between six and eight months, I gra- I got my coffee and I was walking back and I realized like I wasn't worried. I wasn't paranoid that I was going to get drunk. And I and in fact, I couldn't think of the last time that I had thought about drinking mm. and it blew me away mm. because I thought about drinking every every day. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know when the last time was like it could have been a day ago, could have been a week ago. I don't know. I wasn't thinking of it. And so I went to my meeting that night and I was like, you guys this thing works. Like, I can't believe it. 
There's like, this thing actually works. And everyone's just like, oh, man, we've been telling you. <laughs> it's just like, I couldn't. From that point on, I, I pursued this with much more of an open mind. And I was like, I just don't care if, I don't care if God is real. I, it has no bearing on my life, whether me like praying and meditating in the morning and in the evening and like taking these spiritual actions and making my life about others rather than myself is like pleasing to some greater being out there. And so they're making my life just less chaotic or just making my brain less angry at me. Mm -hmm. Or if it's just like a series of chemical reactions in my brain that are making me a little more mellow and less reactive and more responsive, like I don't care. Some days I think one, some days I think the other. It's mm -hmm. just, it's interesting. I, I often say, you know, like, and I mean, I haven't ever said I'm an atheist or anything, but I, but I felt like it for sure. And, um, and I, and I was kind of, I read everything. So I've always been into science. So I've always, I've got my favorite science authors that are atheists that I've read for years, you know? And so when I went through this really dark time, it was, it was easy for me to like think my way into that versus versus hang on to what had seemed like it blew up, which was my faith yeah. and my life and everything. And so, um, but then, you know, as I look at the world, I mean, I, I, like I go, well, even if there's not a God, which I'm not saying that, but mm -hmm. I said, even if there's not a God, what kind of person do I want to be? Yeah. And I look around and even if there's not a God, I there's things that are beautiful. I want to press into beauty. There's things sure. that we can create in this world that are beautiful. I want to press into creativity. I don't want to be a bitter, angry, resentful person. I want to press into forgiveness and grace and love. And I want to press into, you know, re recovery from not, not just necessarily drugs and alcohol, but people go through all kinds of things that just kind of f destroy their life in one way or another. And yeah. helping people recover, you know, giving your life away and not just being narcissistic and about yourself, any, all that stuff. And so I just think what, those are the kind of, that's the kind of person I want to be. I want to press into yeah. these things that do exist. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And you know what I'm saying? It's just, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. Well, cool. Well, so, so you've been sober since 2011. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. Congratulations. Thanks. And, um, and so let's like, so there's several things I'm fascinated. We've taken a bunch of time to get yeah, to this point. Sorry. <laughs> so, um, no, but I, so like you're, down. so like you're a runner. So I was, yeah, you know, sure. I was doing the half mile and mile in high school. Dude. I was a, I was a sub a two minute half miler. Okay. I was a four thirty miler in oh, high school. Yeah. And then I was, I was trying to do a sub two thirty marathon yeah. in my twenties to get into the Olympic trials and then i blew money out snow skiing but you're a vegan you're into running you're trying to get yeah. your marathon time down to three hours yeah. you're working at first call which by the way those of you who heard the interview i did with emily Haig, she's the ceo of first call and it's a it's a it's a nonprofit here in kansas city it's been around a long time that works with families and individuals in substance use disorder and all kinds of resources there. So it's a really great organization. You're working with them. You're, uh -huh. you're a vegan, you're in listener, which is Dan Smith. And by the way, any of my long-term listeners may have listened to my interview with John Terry, who's in listener. Yeah. And, uh, and you have your own band, which is red sweater lullaby. Yeah. Which, uh, I listened to both your albums. One came out in 2014 okay. pins and needles. Yeah. And then your newest one came out in 2020, which was called um, Run Club. Yeah. Run Club. 
And uh, I loved, I, I really, you know, it's funny because I didn't know your whole recovery story. And I was listening to like Skeleton Girl. Okay. And I'm thinking, hmm, this guy seems like he's been around some <laughs> addictive behavior, you know, or people in addictive behavior. And I listened to Acne Scars and it was almost kind of like this longing to be loved, Dude. even though you have these beautiful scars that yeah. are in your, you know, I don't know. Anyway, yeah, I found I all of that fascinating. Okay. So what tell us like the highlights of what's going on in your world right now and Dude. and are you doing any future projects is, is listener touring again and are you writing songs and are you doing anything with red sweater you know yeah yeah put all of that into a <laughs> put it all into three minutes um no we got more than that okay so yeah listeners started playing some shows again we played a couple we have one in portugal fest we're doing in june and then we're doing a festival in Illinois called audio feed and oh my gosh the in the summer at some point <laughs> I can't remember when it is but um we're You've doing toured the world with listener we've right? toured the world man like in over the last 10 years or something yeah, like that yeah. yeah well I just the my first show with listener was April 20th 2012 so it was it's been 10 years man and we've done we've done shows all over um, there cool. was, I mean, to give you, I guess, uh, an idea, there was one tour where I flew from Kansas city West and circumvented the globe, um, to come back home. I think circumvent, is that the right word? I went around. It works for me. I went around, I went around the world, which was the first time. Circumnavigated. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, uh, that was like the first time Dan and I had done a full, like all the way around because we, we went played shows in Australia and New Zealand and then went to Thailand and then from there went to Europe and then to Russia and then to Israel and then back to Europe. Wow. And back home. Yeah. That's so crazy. That was, and that was one tour, you know, we've, wow. done, we've, we've played all over the world and it's been yeah. one of the, have you played on every continent except no, for Antarctica? Man, I wish there's have like, you, okay. So I was actually explaining this to someone the other day and it's not, I don't love it. Um, but I feel like we basically like, <laughs> we play where like white people are, which I don't think is ideal. I think that is problematic, <laughs> but like basically that like, if you were to look at a map, um, uh, we're, I wouldn't, we're not a colonizer band, but it's very much just very white <laughs> where we've played. And I'm like, eh, I'd love to change that. So Northern it's, Denmark, you know, <laughs> it's been tough. It's been, a, that's kind of a bummer for Norway. me. Norway. Like, I want to, I want to play Amsterdam. Um, yeah, just, I, like I, I want to play. Amsterdam's other, pretty international though, you know, but anyway, yeah, yeah. I want to play other places. Um, mm -hmm. you know, I'd love to do like South America and yeah, that's yeah. where I would really like to go next. But, but if you've been Taiwan, that's, yeah, I've been to Thailand. Yeah, I mean, we were, we weren't Thailand. playing there. We like, we had, we played Australia and New Zealand, and then we tried to do some shows in Japan. That Japan has fell through a number of times for us, but uh, we had like, I think two weeks before a Europe tour started. So I was like, man, I don't wanna go home for two weeks. That's gonna be just a lot of flying. Um, so we went to Thailand to just kick back and see stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then we went over to Europe to start the tour. But, yeah. Um, what else? When did you get into running? When did I get, into, I got into, I got into running. Um, I was always like trying to run on and off, but never doing a great job at it. And then my dad got super sick, uh, in 
2019 in like August, he went in for this cancer surgery that like didn't go well. And then he went septic and then went into a coma and we were actually on a tour. Uh, I was, I was there when he had the surgery and all went well for a period. Then I left for this tour and then, uh, the surgery leaked and he went septic and my brother called me. I was like, yo, you should get back. Um, and so I left this tour and flew back to Vegas and it was like pretty jacked up. Like it was a pretty heavy time, you know? Mm -hmm. And so me and my brother and my mom, we would take turns spending nights in the hospital when he was in his coma. Um, just to, if he woke up, so someone was there and, uh, I had my running shoes with me. I just was never a consistent runner. And so when, when I would be in the hospital staying with him, I would go on these little runs. I would like go run a mile and come back. Um, and, uh, it, what's funny is I remember leaving that tour. I was like freaking bawling when my brother called and like got to this airport and I bought a copy of uh, Runner's World. I don't mm -hmm. even know why. My dad used to run marathons, but I was like, I'm going to read this. <laughs> I bought this copy of Runner's World. And so that I got to the hospital, I was just do these little runs and just run and run and run. And um, he eventually woke up out of the coma and started kind of recovering in the ICU and stuff. And I had just taken this job at first call. So I came back to Kansas City to start this job and uh, just kept running from then. So I guess it's, yeah, it's been since like the end of 2019. So okay. a couple of years. Nice. Yeah. Nice. How many miles you try to put in a week? Well, right now I'm I, last week I put in four cause I just, oh. <laughs> I, I ran a marathon um, in Eugene on May 1st. Oh, good job. Yeah. So I'm coming off that, but usually uh, four between 40 and 50. Okay. Yeah. And do you, do you do a long run each week? Like yeah. one, one of your, what's your longest run typically each week? So when you're in training mode, when I'm in training, it's usually like my longest will be like 20, maybe I'll do a 22. Miler, okay. But yeah, yeah. I'm trying to get to where you were. <laughs> well, you know, I, w I had all that speed work in high school on the, on the half and the mile. And, uh, and so then when, when you move to a marathon pace, you know, you're still cl clicking along pretty good. I was running, you know, 540, 530 miles, yeah. you know, that kind of thing yeah. on a marathon. It's insane. Not yeah. bad. But, yeah. Um, yeah. At any rate. It's amazing. Yeah. I I, my training I, pace was like six minute miles. Okay. You know, and uh, yeah. So I do, so, I, do anyway. I, I do a lot of easy mileage, mm -hmm. you know, and then I do have some speed days, mm -hmm. whether they're at the track or just like yeah. fart lakes out on trail or yeah. something. So, yeah. So I do, I do cycling. I switched to cycling okay. after blew my knee out. So that's what I do now. And although I'm, I'm getting fat and you know, <laughs> I tore my rotator cuff in January for yeah. those who are watching, I've got this thing and then I had surgery a month ago and man, if I'm not riding, I'm gaining weight. Cause I might, eating is adjusted to my, to yeah. a volume of exercise. Yeah. If you're an endurance athlete, you're just gone eating. and I still keep eating the uh -huh. same, you know, it's <laughs> like, ah, oh, God. Anyway. Yeah. The vegan thing. And for, mm -hmm. tell us what you do at first call real quick. And then, yeah, so, um, and I want to just leave a little bit of time for like your projects that are okay. on the burner right now. Yeah. So at first call, so I just graduated with my master's in social work from university of Kansas. Um, and at first call, I work in the reentry department. 
which is uh, I did case management for them for a long time, and then uh, now I'm now I'm like uh, taking all the referrals and the intakes for the reentry program and managing caseloads for the caseworkers and stuff. And uh, what I do, or what that program does, it's the coolest. It uh, helps support individuals with a history of problematic substance use who are coming out of incarceration, and uh, the the barriers to reentry into like this community because they have a community in there, but the barriers to reentry to this community are like uh, huge mm. uh, for, for people coming back. And it's, it's, they just need a lot of support. Mm-hmm. Um, not because they are incapable because they're like some of the most like brilliant and resilient and those, they have so many strengths but the barriers to reentry are so high yeah. that uh, just having that kind of support, um, right? It, our, our goal is to sustain recovery and resu- reduce recidivism. And our program has proven to do that. And it's not like rocket science or anything. Basically, if you provide support and especially financial support and stuff for people returning to the community, they do better. Mm-hmm. It's not, you know, we're not doing any magical thing. Yeah. It's just like, and, and providing that support in in wise and proven ways that sure. that don't just get blown away, mm-hmm. you know. But yeah, no, that's been an amazing thing. As I've I've grown to love the recovery community over the last two and a half years that mm-hmm. I've been in it, and the, the, how you know there's just so many misconceptions about that community. Mm-hmm. People are brilliant, smart, intelligent. There's you know addiction is not a respecter of of persons of no. color or gender or yeah. economics or intelligence or mm-hmm. you know it's it hits everybody and uh yeah it, and there's some beautiful people and then some of the most courageous and honest people i've ever met <laughs> yeah are in this world you know absolutely so pretty cool stuff well what's going on with your music what's happening right now um, with listener and with uh, red sweater lullaby so your 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 group we'll start with listener listeners playing some shows which is great we're like we have gotten together to write new music and we are like working on it um we don't have any plans to like put out anything at on x date or anything but we're <clears throat> we've all gotten to a place where we support ourselves in other ways and it's the best place i think to be because like people don't like to buy music anymore which is a whole other podcast but um since you can't it's so hard to support yourself doing music like supporting yourself doing something else that you love and then getting to do music uh also is like the best because the pressure's off um so we're we're kind of we're working on some stuff but slowly and we're gonna be playing some shows which is exciting and um as far as red sweater like i put out (laughs) probably i put out a record in 2020 just like during the pandemic because I had recorded and pressed all the records and like did a video with Matt and yeah. Acne scars yeah. on YouTube with, yeah, with I had like all this stuff ready to go. Yep. And then the world shut down and I was like, well, I guess I could just put this out anyway. Cause who cares? And, um, so I put that out and I've like never played a show on it or anything, which is a bummer. But so hopefully, um, I will be playing some some shows on Run Club, which you can, you know, buy on. I think I shut down my website. I'm kind of bad at, at 
being a guy in a band. <laughs> but uh, you can buy it on my band camp, I think. I think there's a link to buy the record there. Uh, or just like holler at me on Instagram or something and I'll get I'll hook you up. But Run Club's out there. I'm all consistently writing music. Mm-hmm. Um, I was actually writing like doing these little <laughs> <laughs> like requests on on Instagram for a while I was like hey if you just like give me a topic I'll write like a little 30 second ditty for it and it was really fun maybe I should do that again mm. so it's Chris K-R-I-S Rochelle R-O-C-H-E L double L-E yep double L-E R-O-C-H-E-L-L-E okay. yeah yeah uh, and that's a Instagram sure Instagram Twitter I shut down my Facebook Okay. I'm working on a LinkedIn because like I'm a professional uh, person now. Okay. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I but I, par- I thought it, I thought that was like a straight business thing. And now I'm understanding that it is sort of like a social media thing, which is, I guess, I don't know. Yeah. I haven't, I've got a page and I post like post interviews that I do with yeah. CEOs typically Okay, like, you know, but. Maybe I'll post. I can't I, tell. I can't yeah. tell who's out there. <laughs> I don't yeah. know either. I'm just hoping like yeah. uh, someone really rich is like, you're great. I want uh, to fund your life. <laughs> That's what I'm hoping for. Yeah. All of us uh, creative artists dream about, you know, one of those people. It's If I got patronage from someone <laughs> like that, I would question it immediately. <laughs> and then I would start to like berate myself for taking some rich person's money. And now I'm a sellout. And uh, I really can't win with my brain. Yeah. <laughs> we have complicated brains. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. Well, that's awesome. Well, um, thanks for joining us at spirituality adventures. Thanks yeah. for sharing your story. Um, I think, uh, you know, it's always inspirational to me to hear somebody who's gone through, uh, about with addiction and, and then found their way in recovery. Yeah. And, um, so thanks. Thanks for your work with First Call, too, because that's a great organization. Yeah, it is. It's really doing great work in Kansas City. Has been for a long time. But yeah. Uh, and yeah. I, it's like First Call is kind of weird because it's like I think people are confused about what we do because we do so many things. Mm-hmm. So if you're interested in that, just reach out because sometimes it can just get buried. They're like, ah, First Call, what do they do? They do like substance use and recovery and prevention. And I don't even know what that is. And yeah yeah well good stuff well thanks chris everybody check out chris's music under red sweater lullaby you can get that on you know all your music platforms Bandcamp, whatever yeah um you can go to first call and learn more about that i know they they work with volunteers and a lot of great great work goes on there as well and then listener is one of Kansas City's great local bands that has toured the world, and they've been going at it for ten years. Super talented guys. So a listener has been going at it way longer. Yeah. I've been going at it with, listener with for ten, 10 years. Yeah, with ten years. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for joining us at Spirituality Adventures. Thanks everybody for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. This concludes today's episode. Thanks for tuning in and listening. Remember. If you're watching on YouTube, subscribe to my YouTube channel. Remember to like, share, or subscribe to the social media platform that you're using. And then 
go to our website, spiritualityadventures.com and make a one-time donation, or you can subscribe monthly and receive our special bonus content. Thanks so much.